Welcome to Leadership Revealed, where John Paul shares his no-nonsense approach to all things leadership and scaling businesses. John interviews some of the most successful people in their industries to see what it takes to become a great leader. Be prepared for the truth about leadership and business. Please welcome your host, serial entrepreneur and top-selling author, John Paul. Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of Leadership Revealed, and we've got an absolute belter. So I'm going to be interviewing Sally Poinsett Nash, who is a, a branding and, and brand expert, and she has a company called Branding & Co. Now, in this episode, we talk about the difference between personal branding and corporate branding. We talk about her idea on paying it forward, and also that if you're taking from somebody, there needs to be a fair exchange that you need to give back, which again ties in nicely to pay it forward. What Sally knows on marketing is absolutely phenomenal and her branding expertise is one you should surely be taking notes. I know when I was speaking to Sally offline, I scribbled about four or five pages of notes and these are things that I'm gonna be certainly looking to implement in my business. So once again, thanks for tuning in to Leadership Revealed and I'm sure you're gonna enjoy this episode on branding. So hi, Sally. Thanks very much for joining me. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I am speaking to you from Cornwall today, which is where I just bought um, a property. But I'm doing well, and thank you for inviting me on. No, no, my pleasure, my pleasure. So if you, do, if you don't mind, I mean, obviously, I've done a ton of research about you, heard of you, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of our readers, our listeners, and um, people watching on YouTube might not be familiar with you and, and Brandable and Co. Can you just give a, a little bit of a potted history of you and the company and what you do? Yeah, of course. I um, I set up an agency called Brandable and Co. in 2018. And I've been working as a consultant since 2008. I think 2008 is when I became officially unemployable <laughs> and had to work for myself. And I used, I've always done, since then I've done, brand, worked with brands, worked with businesses, troubleshooter, various labels, head of commercial development, you know, um, a lot of labels, but essentially building businesses and building brands. I used to work with celebrities, household names, ultra high net worth individuals. And the thing that struck me as missing a lot was the human aspect. And, you know, these brands are shiny, mm -hmm. they're smoke screens a lot of the time. And in 2018, I almost felt like I wanted to walk away from what I do. And I love, I'm a strategist. I love what I do. I love figuring out the quickest way of getting somewhere. And taking a bit of a step back, probably about three months to reflect on this stuff. It's like, you know what, I'm going to flip this on its head. So rather than take these well-known people, making things go away, building smoke screens and shiny facades. I'm actually going to apply this to everyday people and take all the good stuff that we have buried beneath this professional label and bring it to the surface. You know, people are interesting. And when it comes to the world of business, we present professional. Mm -hmm. It's two-dimensional. We can't really connect with you know, if somebody loves sport or if somebody works with certain organizations and charities or they do something in their free time, there's nothing to connect with when you just show up being professional. Yes, of course, we need to be professional in our business lives, but bringing a bit of that humanness to the forefront of what people do, whether that's 
in organisations or as business owners and freelancers. Yeah. So one of the things that we were talking off air and one of the things that's happening in the estate agency and letting the agency world is that we are having that shift from that corporate image where you are just another cog in the corporate machine to being more of an individual. And there's a lot of SMEs who are, you know, two, three, four people in a, in a business. So not, we're not talking huge businesses and they are the face of it. And that's the sort of thing that you can help the people with, isn't it? The individuals become that, that personal brand of the business. Yeah, I think, you know, whether essentially, whether you're building a personal brand, a career brand, a leadership brand, a, a legacy brand, it's all the same thing. It, it, it's your public visit, piece of visibility. And, you know, the brand, it, that's emotion. That's what we, that's the stuff I love. You know, brand is emotion, it's strategy. It's all the stuff that goes behind branding and it should come first. When you talk about brand being the emotional aspect and branding being the marketing, you know, emotion doesn't sit well with a lot of people in a business setting. But when, we're not looking for, you know, a therapy room type conversation. What we're looking for is, you know, when we're figuring out where you could be going, how does that stuff make you feel? Is that something that you've actually sat down and thought through? Mm. How do you want to leave your audience feeling, anyone that engages with you and your brand? What is that feeling that you want to leave people with? Because strategically, you can get wherever you want to go. But if you haven't thought about how that feels for you, for other people, it, it may not be what you think it is. And I, you know, I made a career choice quite a while ago where I wanted to be the CEO of an international firm of some description. And I worked relentlessly towards getting that under my belt and on my LinkedIn profile as something I've managed to achieve. What I didn't think about was how does that actually feel? And sitting there in you know, the CEO office, working on a financial turnaround, having to make some pretty difficult choices within the business, it was lonely, it was isolated. I didn't engage with any of the people on a human level because I was the bad guy making decisions. So had I thought through the feeling, I may have made a different choice. I think when it comes to sort of professionalism and career paths, people, you know, if you're building a business, you build a strategy to go with it. You revisit that constantly. You have board meetings every month. You don't do this with your career. And a lot of people, the last time they made a conscious choice about their career and didn't just walk through doors that were opened for them was probably when they were 15 years old with a career advisor at school. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And, and just to sort of back you up on, on that, that point, when we grew our business and I became the CEO of it, there wasn't like a crib sheet to tell me how that's being a CEO would make me feel. And it can be quite lonely. Hence why I'm in various peer groups with other CEOs. The fact that... You know, you go from being with the people, with your team on a daily basis to now you're looking at data and reports and strategies. And it's a very, very different mindset shift. And you've got to get with the program very, very quick or you're just not going to enjoy it. So it's a, it's a, I totally agree. You've got to strategize your career path and your leadership path as well as just going into it blindly. Yeah. And you would, you know, before a little technical glitch there, thanks to my, uh, my lighting being plugged in. Um, you were talking about the corporate versus the personal. And I think everything in business and in life really is striving to achieve balance. Mm. 
that can change at any given moment and balance can be thrown out the wrong way. And you need both. You know, you need corporate branding because you want to attract the right customers. You want to have the right recruitment strategy if you're a certain size organization. You need to be known as a corporate brand. Mm. But within that, you know, you are the home, for example, say, you know, it's a brand full of experts, you know, property experts. You want to be known as the place where all those property experts are. And you need to showcase those humans within that business. Mm. Not all of them. You know, when you build, when we build programs um, that we run within the great global corporates, one of the, the precursors from my side is we are not building corporate mouthpieces. Yeah. We need to have this balance of company messaging and individual messaging. And again, keeping a constant eye on this stuff as if it was your business plan. Yeah. Because something can change. The market conditions can change. We can get thrown into a pandemic. You know, I think people talk about personal brand in a way that it's simple. You post some things online, you show up. Yeah. It, it's a lot more complicated than that, especially when you're integrating it into part of your business strategy. And it links to HR functions. It links to the finance department because there is a commercial return on this activity and it can be measured. So that links into a marketing function. Yeah. It's part of a much bigger strategy. Yeah, it's quite interesting you say that because it is something that we're picking up from the Australians and the Americans where it's more about the individual at the minute in the UK. And I'm glad the tide is turning that we've gone from the corporate world where it's, you know, the big names, the countrywide, the Connells, and now there's a lot of the individuals. And we are finding that the more individualised you are as a, as a business, be it a corporate with an individual fronting it or a, or a one-man band, we are finding that those types of companies or, or jobs, if you want to call them that, are gaining a lot of traction in the market. They are doing a lot, lot better than what the corporates used to be able to do on their own. Yeah, and I think you know it's easier to find the right people and mm. build those long-term relationships. You know, if people are selling their home, they may not be doing it once. They may not be doing it twice. Mm. They, they'll keep coming back from a who do I choose to sell my property with? If you're a buyer, I, I would assume it's very different. I've just bought a second property down here in Cornwall. Our London property, um, he, the guy, our agent, he's actually, I saw that he was connected to you on LinkedIn. Um, but he's amazing. So I set the brief of, I want one of six flats in a particular place in London. <laughs> and none of them were for sale. So my husband is um, a lot more personable than I am. I'm an introvert. There can be some social awkwardness. I can be quite intense. And so he's great at happy-go-lucky building relationships. And I sent him to see this guy and various other agents um, every Wednesday for nine months until we managed to get the property that we were looking for. And because of the relationship with the agent, we are now looking to rent that property out. He's our first port of call. At the point where we're going to be selling that property, he is our first point of call. He, you know, he knows that area. He canvassed people <laughs> for nine months and we managed to find the flat that we wanted and we bought it before it hit the market. Yeah. Um, so I think when you can build those relationships with the smaller firms and the mm. individuals, they're very long-term relationships. Yeah, for sure. It's clear. Whereas with 
the corporate, you'll get whoever's working there at the time. And that you may not have that consistency in relationship and you have to start from scratch with building trust, building rapport. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think it is because he's, he's taken it personal. He clearly cares about getting you and your husband the best result. So he has gone the extra mile. Not many agents, the good agents would, but the vast majority wouldn't, would canvas the area. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah no, he, he was, um, he was a, a fine example of what I think an agent should be buying a property in Cornwall we bought it in a seller's market and um we just had to go with the place that had the property and it definitely wasn't the same experience so how if you're building a personal brand if you're working as a sole trader and you're on your own or you've got a smaller estate agents that you're running how are you going to be the one that people go to to sell their properties because essentially that's where the attraction point needs to be the sellers will always go the buyers will always go to wherever the properties are yeah. so how can you build those relationships with people that are likely to sell yeah i think the first thing is, is is what we tell our guys is just be so bloody good that it doesn't matter if they're buying we've got the problem we've got 20 people give those 20 people a world-class service and then hopefully when they come to sell their property in five ten years time we will get it you know, we do get properties off off buyers, people trying to buy a house when they can't sell their house and their, their current agent lets them down. They say, well, look, we had such a good experience with you guys buying it. We want you to, to sell it. And I, I think that's an easy win for a lot of agents and a lot of businesses in general that they don't necessarily tap into. Yeah. Um, and also that word of mouth. Maybe they're not selling something, but because it's not directly obvious, doesn't mean that five people in their circle are not selling something. Yeah. Um, I think that's the way with brokers for sure that I yeah. you know you go with word of mouth it's like who got you the best deal who gave you the best experience yeah. Um, and yeah but I think that should be the same in any business you know yeah. the word of mouth component around Brandable and Co although it's a global business it's very strong people have a certain experience I think it's hard sometimes to see well where's the commercial return and it is hard to measure initially and it's hard to measure if you don't have huge marketing departments that have got you know data people sitting within them but it is measurable and you can see it affect the bottom line it's a longer term piece you're talking about within 12 months rather than within 12 days so you don't run a program and expect to see instant results people have to trust you you suddenly pop up out of nowhere um, and then you start to build your reputation and you start to build this trust around you. Hmm. Going back to what you said before about when you were given a, an idea about the brand and the branding. Um, mm -hmm. We've just gone through this process with one of the companies that we're, we're starting. And we used a, a branding expert and he, just to back you up, he said exactly the same as you. And it was really interesting that when we looked at what the message was and everything else, actually something's changed in the business plan or some things were suggested to change in the plan because we wanted to know who's our target market what are we thought of do we have a say do gap as in do we say we do something but the actual what we do is completely different and it was really interesting that some of the suggestions that came back did actually alter um what we originally thought and this is only in a short period of time so it's incredibly important to anybody who's watching this or or listening to it to actually go back and, and look at what your brand is and then you can work out the marketing thereafter. Um, 
Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't ask, you know, whether I'm working with corporates who don't want to hear it um, or, you know, they're just scared of what people might say. Mm. Um, Working with founders and freelancers who are building a proposition that they think solves a problem. It's like, did you ask people? Um, there's a lot of effort here going in. There's potentially a lot of investment going in. There's a lot of time for sure going in. Did you stop and ask people? So before I start a brand DNA process with anybody or a business, we would send out an anonymous survey and the key is in the anonymous. If you allow people to answer questions that you're asking them, the questions have to be quality. Otherwise, you're going to see that lack of quality reflected in your answers. But asking people questions about, you know, when it comes to personal brand, which three to five words best describe me? It sounds really basic, but what that does is give you a data set where you can say 50 people referred to me as the same thing. Um, All of the components will be there, but maybe that thing that you're most known for, according to other people, is not the thing that you want to be known for. It's part of who you are, but maybe it should be down here somewhere rather than the leading thing that people keep saying about you. There was a girl I worked with who she was in a support role, had been personal assistant, executive assistant type roles for a long time. And she started her own creative business. And when we surveyed her audience with a set of five to eight questions, we found that people were describing her as kind and helpful (laughs) and um, supportive and reliable, all great qualities to have. But that was what was leading and we with a bit of positioning a bit of online appearances in in different ways within six months she was being known for dynamic leaderships qualities the way she was running her business same things but we just flipped what the majority was saying yeah yeah but when we were off air you showed me a really good slide that you had i think might be a great time to to pull it up and you can talk us through it yeah i think because it's emotion and because it's not a marketing strategy, brand can be quite hard to wrap your head around. It can be quite hard to describe or relate to you, yourself or your business. Let me just share my screen here and we'll talk through it as well. Anyone who's listening to this on the podcast, if you pop along over to the YouTube channel, you'll be able to see this. So if you think about brand as being a shop on a, on a busy high street, let's say it's an estate agent, because that would be appropriate for right now. And, you, you know, you are the estate agent, you are the estate agents on the high street. The first impressions that you're creating with people are your shop window. So when that relates to a physical property, you're going to have houses in your window, whether you're letting them, whether you're selling them. If you relate that to your personal brand, your shop window is very different. It's online, it's available 24 seven. People can Google you at any given moment, whether you're aware of it or not. And even just Googling your name and seeing what shows up in the search results, both web, web, image, video, what is showing up? Because if someone's looking you up, they're gonna process information in a different way. And they may go straight to image results. There's been situations in the past where clients of mine, there was an accountant um, who ran an accountancy firm. I think it was about 10 people working there. When we Googled him, he was a mass murderer in the US. (laughs) 
clearly not him. But anyone that didn't know him, that was the first impression he was creating. So knowing what's showing up, whether it's on your LinkedIn profile, your social media profiles, or a simple Google search, that's your online first impression. Mm. When you show up to clients, it's how you appear, how you're dressed, are you appropriate for the situation? If you're on talks, podcasts, you know, how are you creating this first impression? This is people that haven't ever met you before. The story that you're telling, that's where the marketing piece comes in and it, it really captivates, it creates that pull. So rather than push and push and push, which if you're looking for new business, pushing is exhausting. Um, if you tell a story that allows people to connect with it, you know, it's that sticky, not shiny. It's like, oh, I'm not interested in selling my house right now, but this guy is, is sharing this. And I do this as well. Maybe it's something sports related. You can start to form a conversation with people, yeah. even if it's not a direct opportunity. So pulling people towards you because of common interests, you're building rapport without having even met the people when it's linked to your marketing activities. The next thing is you know, your skills, your services, your products, your company, your expertise. What are you selling? So if somebody walks in to that shop, and they've seen houses in the window, but they get in there and you're selling shoes, you're not going to make a sale. Um, it's confusing to people. So when people do find you, and it's the correct version of you online, and then they have a look at your LinkedIn profile, is it clear what you're selling? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be in either an American or an Australian way. You know, it's in your own way, but you have to make it clear what your expertise is and why people would come in and buy the hard work is getting people to come in the shop. Mm -hmm. So the marketing channels that you choose to use, use the ones where your audience are engaging. So yes, you need to figure out your audience. Are they professionals? If they are, they're more than likely going to be on LinkedIn. Are they a certain age demographic? You'll, you'll know where your audience are because there's a ton of research around it. But you have to think about, you know, it's not just this generation of audience. Where's my next generation of audience coming in from? And using the channels where they engage versus where a coffee's just been delivered in the middle of my talk. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, using the, the channels where people engage rather than just where they're browsing content. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do something and put time and energy into this, do it in the place where you're going to get the highest return. Yeah. You know, I do not get a lot of engagement on my LinkedIn publicly. It's my chosen platform because all of my activity happens in direct messages. People do not want others around them knowing that they're building a brand. They just want to show up in a new and improved way. Yeah. Um, That's actually very, very true for myself. And when I do my, my coaching, LinkedIn, yeah. I get very, very little. It's, it's Facebook and Instagram. And again, with Instagram, it's, all, it's a lot to do with the direct messaging. So that's, that's very true. Yeah. And it's not, you know, maybe if you're an Instagrammer and you're filtering the life out of yourself, maybe it is a vanity project. But this stuff, you know, it's a career planning tool, a career development tool. It's a company commercial revenue stream development tool. This isn't a vanity project. We don't have time to be showing up on all platforms you know, doing a kind of a half job on all of it, 
and actually we're not in the one place and investing our time in the one place where people are actually engaging and potentially then converting whether that's into your network or in as a sale of some description so that those channels and that choice of channel is going to grow and expand the reach of your brand the next component is collaborations which is one of my favorites and a good collaboration has to be mutually beneficial otherwise it's not a great collaboration and it's probably a one-off so forming relationships with people who share the same audience as you, but who have complementary offerings. It's a great way to amplify everything that you're doing. So there was um, a woman that I was talking to. She wanted to grow her Instagram. It was part of where her audience were. And she's like, well, I can't really do anything because I don't have an Instagram following. following. It's like you need to find the right collaboration with the same audience and offer something which involves following you on your Instagram. Figure out what that is and what's right for you. But suddenly she went from having no Instagram followers to like 3,000 Instagram followers within one collaboration. Yeah. So picking the right collaborations, if you're selling houses, you know, what's complementary to that? Who else could you be collaborating with where there's an audience share? and amplifying the message. You want to associate with brands that have trust. You want to associate with people that are doing well. All of that can come into your collaboration strategy. And then the final component is you will not find meaning in these metrics, but testing and measuring and continually tweaking is so important. You would do it with your business. If suddenly your sales dropped, you take a look at why that's happening. Mm with your brand it's never going to be all this stuff there will be one component that is dropped out of the balance or it's it's pushed the balance the other way and all that you'll need to do is tweak and if you can't find the answer ask your audience mm. always so that's a good way of structuring it using these pillars starting with what story are you telling um, you know we don't need the life story i think that's why it's so complicated for an individual when they're building a personal brand because you've known yourself from day one. Yeah. Like, which bit do I tell? If I'm bringing a bit of human to the forefront, there's a ton of it. Which bit do I bring forward? Um, figuring out what others are saying about you can give you a bit of a guide on how you frame your stories in the right way for whatever activity you're focused on. Love that. That's really that's so... A great way of succinctly putting, you know, building up a personal brand or, or, you know, getting your name out there. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would start at, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to build my personal brand? It's like, we yeah. can come back to what you need to do. First of all, we need to know where you're going. So if you've set up an estate agent because you want to sell that business, when do you want to sell that business? Yeah. What price do you want to achieve when you sell it? We need to know that stuff. And then we'll come back to the beginning because you're going to build a very different business if your objective is to sell it or to be acquired. Yeah. If yeah. you want a lifestyle business for the next 25 years, mm -hmm. it's going to be a different approach. Yeah. Funny enough, I posted in one of the groups that I run, Agency Growth Strategies, I posted it on Saturday about having end goals. Like, mm. what is your end goal? Because it's exactly that. If you know where you want to get to, then the journey can be so much simpler and, and more efficient and effective. If you just say, 
oh, I'll just keep going for another 20 years. You're not going to pick the right parts where you need to concentrate on and you'll you probably find yourself doing something that you wouldn't normally do had you had that end goal in mind. Yeah, and I think one thing I'm always, you know, people are always like, oh, I took this away. It was so useful. But I've used it from the beginning. I don't, you know, it kind of started from slightly behind a starting line um, due to my upbringing and, and how I was raised. And I've always had to figure out how to get somewhere faster because I've always been a bit behind um, coming from quite a dysfunctional upbringing. One thing I've used in my whole life, and I never really put any term to it until I had to put it into presentations and workshops, but the one centimetre rule when it comes to positioning, it's invaluable. It's invaluable for your company marketing, your personal goals, anything you're doing. So if you're positioning yourself exactly where you are today, you're not going to move very fast because people only see today. If you've figured out, you know, one goal, focus on one thing, take that goal and stretch it out down a 30 centimeter ruler, push it out as far as you can. So you may say that you want to be an author. Are you saying you want to be an author because of the limitations you have today? Actually, would you rather be a best-selling author? Mm. Would you rather be a best-selling author of a series of books? You know, how far can we push this stuff before you say, that really doesn't feel good to me? Mm. You know, going on global stages and book tours, no thanks. Um, bring it back down a level, but push it, whatever your goal is, push it slightly more. Just how does it feel? Check in with that. Once you've got your 30 centimeters established, come back to where you are, which is zero. So we're not going to use you as an example because you are an author. But if someone isn't an author and they haven't written a word, yet they want to be a best-selling author up this end of the ruler, how do you start seeding that a centimetre ahead? Yeah. If you said to me, what did you do What did you do at the weekend? It's like, oh, I did this and that. And, you know, I spent some time thinking about this book that I'm going to write. Suddenly, you're, you're associating book with me. I haven't written a word. Nothing's happened. You can put stuff on LinkedIn, for example, and say, does anyone in my network know published authors? I'm going to be writing a book and I'd love to talk to someone and have coffee with someone who's done it already. There may be no one in your network, but anyone who saw that post is now associating book author you. If they see that a publishing company have, is open for submissions, they're going to forward it to you. If they see that there's you know, an article that they've read which mentions something with, you know, trying to become an author, they're going to forward that to you. You allow forward opportunities to connect with you before you've actually got there. And yeah. that's the stuff that makes you you shift much faster along the ruler. Just to pick up on something you said, um, off air on, on the beginning here, you're, you're an introvert, right? Yeah. So yeah, and, and, you know, believe it or not, I, I don't like standing on stage or doing a lot of speaking. There's... If I go out, I prefer to go out in couples if it's a weekend. I mean, this is 15 years after, you know, last going out with the guys, the lads and nightclub and whatnot. I'd just rather stop in. How difficult is it? Or can you give our audience or just some tips or tricks? Or how did you get over from being an introvert to saying, do you know what, stuff it. I need to build a business. I'm just going to have to suck it up. Yeah, I don't think I've ever got over it. But... <laughs> I don't think I ever will, unfortunately. Yeah. I'd love to be wired differently. I am not. So you have to, especially doing what I do, you have to get comfortable with your limitations and knowing what you can and can't say yes to. And I think it's a great 
qualifier on is this opportunity worth it? You know, I've got friends who will take everything and anything because they love the attention. They love the focus. It, it plays into who they are and it feeds them energetically. It does the opposite to me. It would take my energy away. So, you know, everything has to have an exchange, even when you're doing stuff for free. You know, there has to be some kind of exchange, whether it's social media sharing or, or anything. Mm. Is that exchange worth the energy and time it's going to cost. I was flown out to Milan to do a speaking gig. It was for one of my corporate clients, but it was in collaboration with Google. There was a lot of positives for me to go and deliver this. But I thought, well, A, the pressure's on. I have to get it really right from a, from a delivery point of view and not get overwhelmed. And I know that that is going to cost me two weeks of energy yeah making sure that my diary was scheduled in a way that I can do the thinking work I can do the strategic work the business isn't stopping I have there's a team of there's nine of us in the business and making sure that the team are working around my windows of lull <laughs> when it comes to public appearances um, I think you can schedule your social media way in advance if something happens that you need to be reactive, you've got to show up, but you can schedule this stuff when you're feeling in the mood to be visible. Yeah. I think my following, I, I think it's around 50,000-ish mark. I, these days, I don't really care. I'll post anything. At the beginning, sort of six, seven years ago, I had to start being visible because this is the work I was doing. And there's only so long you can hide without feeling a bit hypocritical. But I had three friends over to put my first tweet out. Really? <laughs> From an anonymous Twitter account, it was some fashion image with some motivational quotes stuck on the top of it. So everything about it was 100% anonymous. It cost me the weekend in having <laughs> unnecessary drama about being visible. It was just, I'm not a particularly dramatic person, but that is one example of over-the-top drama because yeah. it made me feel super <laughs> vulnerable. And I wasn't comfortable with that at the time. Now, it would take a lot more to make me feel vulnerable because I'm a bit more resilient to it. Yeah. It's a bit like everything, isn't it? The first time you do it, it's always the thought of doing something is a lot, yeah. the perception's a lot worse than the reality. And once you do it, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean you feel comfortable and it comes natural. It's mm. just getting over that first initial hurdle. Yeah. And even when you're introducing yourself, for example, you know, people don't, they just tend to talk about work. I in certain workshops, I kind of force people to introduce themselves in front of everybody for 60 seconds without mentioning work or anything career related. Yeah. Uh, most people can't do 10, 20 seconds really? um, because they're not used to doing it. Separating work from personal. Except. Yeah, it's safer to hide behind work, you know, but we've, we've been ourselves for far longer than we've been work. Yeah. And once you practice that introduction, as much as you practice the work version, it's actually much easier to be yourself than it is to just sell your job title or your area of expertise. Yeah. What I really, really like, uh, again, we, we spoke before, was on your website, Brandable & Co. And if, if anybody hasn't seen it, I strongly suggest you go and um, have a look. It's brilliant. Is you've got a, our manifesto. And the first couple of, the first line really sums it up for me. You are human, so act like it. I think that's absolutely brilliant because a lot of us do hide behind this corporate persona. And even though we are, we might be Joe Bloggs working for Purple Bricks or, or any other sort of, 
you know, corporate company. It's we have to define and separate the corporate and the personal and be more human because people like to buy from other humans. Yeah. And I think, you know, showing up, not in a way that feels braggy or feels arrogant. I mean, if you're a braggy, arrogant character, show up in a natural way, but don't feel that you have to show up in a way that fits somebody else's model. Yeah. You need to show up in a way that's comfortable for you. And I think taking it at your own pace, this stuff isn't a race. Your brand's going to be with you for your entire life because it is just a public extension of who you are. Um, Doing this stuff in a way that's comfortable for you allows you to build confidence. And confidence doesn't just come instantly. Mm. Um, One of the things, talking about balance, that that I force at Brandable & Co. is um, our Pay It Forward projects. Making sure that we balance, you know, sort of big corporate fees with making, making sure that that is being paid forward to not-for-profits, for charities, for people that don't take salaries because they're running meaningful organisations. And every year I've had to limit myself to doing four, otherwise I'd literally turn into a charity and make no money. Um, but every year I do four pay-it-forward projects. And this year I set the Stop Underselling Yourself project as one of them instead of giving to an organisation and committed to reach a million people in one year with this Stop Underselling Yourself campaign. I think there's 136,000 or something left uh, to reach that million person goal. But I just have so much experience of being the only thing that's getting in my own way. Yeah. You know, this, you would, if I was out there selling you, I'd do a really good job of it. But when you have to go out there and represent yourself, yeah it it goes a bit sideways sometimes so that confidence is a slow burn you're going to do something and do two steps forward Mm. get knocked take a step back confidence doesn't come easy for some people and it depends on you know your life experience and how you're wired as a human being but I have days where I struggle with my confidence because I don't want to be visible I would rather be at home and close the blinds and just do my work in peace. Yeah. As a business owner, I can't do that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Sally, this has been absolutely exceptional. I've really, really enjoyed listening to you. I love the manifesto, the pay it forward idea. Um, and we're going to put all your, your your social media handles in the in the description. So if anybody wants to get in touch, they, they can do. Yeah, and I think if you are sharing stuff, if you could share, there's a free resources link. So it's part of our bigger social mission. Um, There are a bunch of free guides on the website, whether it's personal brand, confidence, showing up, it's all there. And you hit download, they're yours. It's not a sales funnel. There's no email capture. Um, As many people that want that can have that and use it for their own personal growth. Really appreciate that. Sally, once again, thank you very much. Thank you.